Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Well, it's fun to be back in contemporary worship with all of you. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's some changes going on around the place, uh, thanks to our, our building and grounds committee. Uh, we've got new lights up here. Remember those old canned big uh, spotlights that were over here only? And so they've put in some new lights, and we're trying to figure out how to work all of those things so that we don't blind the people up here uh, while you get a chance to see. And if you haven't checked them out, check out the restrooms over here that uh, are, are brand spanking new. So um, all sorts of progress that's going on in our life as a church community, thanks to your generosity and your support. Uh, this is the first Sunday in Lent, and one of the things that we, uh, we look at is this lectionary text from the Gospel of Mark this morning, and it starts with the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and uh, as you heard earlier this morning, uh, Jesus was driven into the wilderness. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out, up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the characteristics of Mark's gospel is this word immediately. Mark, as a writer, is in a hurry. And so everything happens immediately in the gospel. And you can get just the sense of the pace in these first few verses in the first chapter of how quickly he's moving from one thing to the next. But I want to take a little moment to think more deeply about what's going on in this move from Jesus' baptism to the wilderness. Now, maybe you've heard this past uh, summer about Pope Francis, who's brought up a concern that he has about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, even when we say the Lord's Prayer today, uh, you'll often have that sort of point at which, is it debts or debtors? Uh, trespasses, sins, those who sin against us. I mean, different traditions approach it differently, right? So we already have a Lord's Prayer in which different Christian communities approach it differently. Pope Francis is arguing now that the English version of the Lord's Prayer should be different. He doesn't like the words, lead us not into temptation. Um, he was interviewed on an Italian television station in August. And in the interview, he says... The implication is that God is pushing us towards temptation. He said, quote, 
It is I who fall into temptation. A father is one who helps me, helps me up. It's Satan who leads people into temptation. So he suggested that English Catholics should use language that the French Catholics use. And it would be more like, do not let us fall into temptation. He has a point, right? I mean, at least according to Mark's gospel, if you, the text I just read here, it's explicitly Jesus was tempted by Satan. So the question, I guess, this morning is, where, where do you think temptation comes from? And how is it that we can protect ourselves from it? Temptation, even Jesus had to face it. Temptation's a part of life. No one is immune. And it, temptation is something that exists throughout our lives, uh, no matter what your age. It's present when there's any choice to be made between something that's good and evil or between a higher and a lower good. Sometimes we're tempted to simply justify the means by the end. If the end is good, then the means of getting there must be good. We're tempted all the time when there's choices to be made. So this first Sunday in Lent, we take a look at some self-examination that comes when we confront temptation in our lives. The other Gospels tell the story of Jesus' temptation in much more specific and detailed terms than the Gospel of Mark, because Mark's in a hurry. So he just moves on. Three temptations that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. Mark simply and uniquely claims, and the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He didn't just kind of wander across the border into the wilderness like he'd lost his compass. Uh, he wasn't out on a camping trip, as we heard before, on a wilderness experience. He was driven into the wilderness for hand-to-hand spiritual conflict, a physical battle with evil at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Unless you think that he was in trouble out there in the wilderness, the wilderness would prove to be the least of his troubles. We, too, are driven by the same spirit to confront temptation. Many of you are familiar with uh, the musical, uh, the, the play Les Mis by Victor Hugo. And it's a musical um, in which Jean Valjean, the, the key person in the uh, novel, is a hardened criminal who, through no fault of his own, really spent 19 years in prison. Finally, he gets released, and for four days he seeks lodging. But there wasn't one innkeeper who would allow a former felon lodging. Finally, he comes across this kindly bishop who invites him into his home. And Jean Valjean waits until the bishop and his sister fall asleep, treated as a criminal for all these years. He's tempted to act as one and giving in to temptation. 
Once the bishop and his wife and his uh, sister are asleep, he grabs the bishop's belongings, taking the family silver into the darkness with him as he makes his escape. Captured, he's brought back to the scene of the crime, and the police have him there, and the bishop responds in this way that nobody expects. So, you are here, he says. I'm delighted to see you. Had you forgotten that I came to give you the candlesticks as well? They're silver like the rest. They're worth a good 200 francs. Did you forget to take them? Valjean was no thief, the bishop assured the police. The silver was his gift to him. Forgiveness, mercy, grace. Was this man, the man the police, particularly Javar, the policeman, was Valjean the man that the police thought he was? Or was he the man that the bishop thought he was? At that point in the play, this is where Valjean sings the song, Who Am I? Because temptation causes us to question our very identity. Who are we? After deep soul searching, he comes to the conclusion there's a different way to live. And despite his, the depth of his experience of human depravity, he decides he can become someone else, the person that the bishop thought he could become. Temptation has a way of clarifying who we are. Often these days we think of temptation in terms of the big three, money, sex, and power. These are the big three temptations of our culture. You ever heard the expression, follow the money? I mean, in every newsroom, that's the, the real interesting story, right? You'll be uh, led astray, but follow the money, you'll find where the story comes to its terminus. Um, this past year, there have been countless people in entertainment and in politics who have a checkered past that has become revealed. The hashtag MeToo movement has unearthed surprising stories about people that we had admired, people that, we, that have been incredibly successful and yet have been engaging in sexual harassment. Temptation. According to the story of the temptation of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, the key is to first renounce some of the things of the world to be able to enter the pilgrimage towards the things of God. We have to be willing to turn our backs on certain things to be open to other things. It's not so much that we're tempted by evil things, and neither was Jesus. He was tempted by good things, like bread for his hunger, security, glorification. And we're tempted by the very same things. I mean, this week, this 
horrible, horrendous shooting in South Florida. We live in this sort of vulnerable place as human beings where our children can go to school and not come home. We long for security. Jesus was tempted by the very same things. But here's the thing about temptation. You have to be willing to give up pearls that are valuable for the pearl of great price. It's not evil things necessarily. It's things that are good that tempt us. And we'll never really be open to the spiritual world unless we become aware of the fact that all that glitters in the world is not gold. Peter Marshall, the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate back many years ago, used to say, it's no sin to be tempted. It isn't the fact of having temptations that should cause us shame, but what we do with them. Temptation is an opportunity to conquer, to grow, to become stronger. When we eventually reach the goal to which we're all striving and we come face to face with God, God will look us over not for diplomas, but for scars. So here's the thing. I mean, people don't compromise their principles all at once. It begins with small compromises of behavior that seem innocent enough, but they lead to bigger compromises along the way. And to succeed, temptation requires our consent. We go along with it. Therefore, we have to avoid temptation at the very beginning. When temptation comes knocking, lock the door. Don't be suggestible. Instead, choose a different storyline for your life. It'll give you freedom to reject enticing alternatives and to be able to be persistent in your resistance. I mean, let's go back to the very first chapters of the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, the tempter creates a wedge for Adam and Eve and their understanding of the boundaries that God has established for their well-being. Here's the power of suggestion at work in that text. Did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman replies, we may eat of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. So you see the tempter here. The temptation is to broaden the limitation And then decide that it's really unfair that we shouldn't be able to eat from any tree in the garden. And it misrepresents the prohibition. And the man and the woman cave to the temptation because from the very beginning they were suggestible. It takes time to overcome those initial impressions and penetrate the disguises of evil to see the attractiveness of good. It takes the experience of being fooled once or twice. 
and finding out that what you thought was really a good turns out not to be a good at all. And those things that you thought were not good at all turn out to be really good. We just prefer to win the lottery rather than do the daily work of service, the daily kinds of sacrifices that are necessary for our spiritual lives to begin to blossom. So evil attracts us because there appears to be no limit on us. We're free to do as we please, and there's nothing more powerful than being able to do what you want to do. So we move forward without a hitch, and we enjoy our unfettered freedom at first. It's only later that we find ourselves in bondage to evil, and we begin to recognize its true ugliness. If you've ever had a family member who has had drug or alcohol dependency, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody who's had some sort of sexual perversion or have compromised their moral standards, sooner or later you discover you're trapped by the choices you've made, which seemed so free at the beginning. We find in life we're not only the victims of evil, we're the perpetrators of evil too. We often do evil because we don't recognize it as evil. And we fail to do good because we don't recognize it as good. Evil often glitters and attracts us. And its paradoxical quality of being, in fact, hideous and yet appearing attractive has the power to deceive us. So you may be familiar with uh, C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters. He writes about sort of the challenge of the Christian life and the kinds of temptations that we run into. And in it, um, screw tape is the head of the devils who is writing to all the little devils who are all trying to trip up these people who are trying to live out their Christian faith. And um, so these little devils are always trying to encourage the Christians to come over to the dark side. It's better over here. And he writes, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The obvious sins we can resist. It's the inconspicuous ones, the subtle ones that snare us and begin to bring us down. So here in this story of Jesus and his temptations, Jesus is not the least bit suggestible. He's the new Adam. He's the new man who lives within God's constraints and established that God established. And he lives in the world on God's terms, within boundaries. So the assault begins on him in the wilderness. So you're the son of God, the chosen one, the beloved, the only begotten son. Wow. That was established. I mean, we just had the baptism here. What, what does that really mean, Jesus? 
Doesn't that mean you should take things into your own hands? Make a name for yourself? I mean, come on, what else would be more powerful for God? What better way to get people to do what God wants them to do? Use your power. So Jesus is first tempted to use his power to satisfy his own appetite. Turn from the path of service. Turn towards selfishness. Meet your own needs here if you are so powerful. We'll hear it later in the story. Jesus on the cross. Or if you're God, come on down. Save yourself, Jesus. But he doesn't turn from service to selfishness. He's tempted to use his powers. To meet a temporary need for his own hunger. And the problem is when we meet our temporary needs, it never fully satisfies us. Then he's tempted to use his powers for his own security. He's tempted to I mean this shooting in Florida. How how can we live in a world where we're so vulnerable? Our children are so vulnerable. Our lives are so vulnerable. Security is a good thing. But in this case, it became a temptation for Jesus. Throw yourself down. Prove that God is with you. So it's good things that he's tempted by. Finally, he's tempted to seek his own glorification, to take things into his own hands rather than leave things in God's hands. You have to renounce some things in life. You have to turn your back on what seems like good things, but actually are deceptively life-taking from you. Security's a good thing. Food's a good thing. But when feeding our appetites becomes something more important than our spiritual lives, we'll have to learn the hard way that we do not live by bread alone. When our desires for security direct our every thought and our every movement, we become prisoners. So what kind of person do you want to be? Who are you? Temptations come to test your resolve and to strengthen you. They help us come to our senses. Who am I? Why am I here? To live out God's intention for my life. Some will claim that you're mostly a body. That you're a sexual being and life is really about lusting and being lusted after. Others are going to claim you're mostly a brain. Mostly a rational being absorbing facts and figures. It's not who you are. It's what you know that matters most. So study hard. Still others are going to try and convince you that we're mostly just an economic engine. 
a spender of money, a gatherer of resources. You are not your own. You are what you own. You're a doer. You're an obtainer of things. And all of our advertising is directed towards that. People are trying to sell us all the time. And so we experiment with our lives and we try to kind of mix a little of this and a little of that. And we hope it somehow comes together and gels in our lives before the whole thing blows up in our faces. The spiritual life in Jesus Christ begins with a different answer to the question, who am I? When at the most basic level, we understand ourselves to be long to God. And we are those who renounce evil and its power in the world. That language comes right from the baptismal covenant. We begin to come to our senses and we find our identity in faith. We begin to overcome temptation and we become a little bit like Jean Valjean. The people God created us to be rather than the people others sometimes perceive us to be. We'll be tempted to take matters into our own hands. We'll be tempted to find an easier way to the life we desire. But when we resist temptation, it will flee from us. And we'll be the stronger for it. So the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament has some good news for us in this regard. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is Victor Hugo's great insight into the turning point in Jean Valjean's life. Grace and mercy to help in the hour of need. So like the bishop said, our Lord says to us, so here you are. I'm delighted to see you. Had you forgotten that I gave you the candlesticks as well? They're silver like the rest and worth at least 200 francs. Did you forget to take them? Don't forget to take the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, mercy, and grace. It transforms human life into something remarkable. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. And so, gracious Lord, we do come before you and we are grateful for that grace and mercy and forgiveness that restores us and recommissions us for service in the world of your making and redeeming. Thank you that Jesus Christ experienced temptation as we do 
and can help us find our way through the maze to become stronger and more sure of who we are in you. For we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.